Good morning. It's been nice to get up early this morning and see everybody posting already online saying Happy Mother's Day. And uh, I haven't posted anything on Facebook, but I'm going to do something I don't normally do. You don't know this, but every Sunday, almost every Sunday without a miss, my mother watches from Rochester, Minnesota and joins us online. And so on the count of three, would you all with me say Happy Mother's Day to my mom? Can you do that? Her name's Carly. You don't have to say Carly. We're just going to say Happy Mother's Day, okay? So one, two, three. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. Okay, thank you, thank you. The, uh, the internet is blowing up in Rochester right now. My mom is, uh, Mama Schaff is now trending, hashtag Mama Schaff. So anyway, oh, she's so faithful. Hey, we've got a message to preach. So let's grab our Bibles and let's open to Romans chapter five, if we will, today. You know, there's that moment that when you get on a plane, there's always that moment of truth. And the thing that makes me more nervous than anything else is an overstuffed carry-on bag. Do you know what I'm saying? Oftentimes, you'll see that person coming in and they can't get it around the aisle and they're having a hard time navigating it. And then the moment of truth comes. The handle goes down, they grab, and with all their might, you, they look like they're going to power lift. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you, they take deep breaths. <sighs> you know, it's like, oh dear, what's going to happen? What's, and, and finally, somebody will say, do you need some help? Do you need some help? Yeah, yeah. And then they strain as they lift this Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, everything in all of its weight into a compartment area that is not intended to allow something so stuffed and overwhelming into that spot. You know, the, the easiest part is actually getting it in. You know what I'm saying? Because at the end of the flight, once everything's jostled, once everything's shifted, there's that moment that you have to remove it from its bin. No joke. The other day, I was flying back from, from a, a trip with my wife, and this person goes to grab their carry-on. And we knew they had a lot of trouble getting it in. And as they pulled it out by themselves with no help, it slipped from her hands and it hit them in the back of the head. And the whole plane just like stopped, you know, like to see. And this person just said, sorry, you know? And I'm just like, oh man, that, 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 that's a bad day right there. That's a bad day right there. Honestly, I think that our carry-on bag reminds us we've done a, a picture every week. Our first week, we, we talked about in this journey of life, we have stuff that needs to be sorted out and cleaned. We all have baggage, but we're not our baggage. But we all need to handle our baggage and take care of it. Last week, we talked about the load that we have, and it's a team lift. We need to be able to take our load and share it with others and take on the load of others so that we appropriately carry the life that we've been given by God and by others. And so if we all have baggage, the truth of the matter is, there is probably an appropriate load for us to travel with. There's probably an appropriate load that says, I'm still working on some things. An appropriate load that says, hey, this is not handling me more than I'm handling it. But the truth of the matter is, I'm in process with God and with others. And so when it comes to our carry-on baggage, I want us all to understand that we all have an appropriate load to carry on this journey. It's when we overstuff it, overpack it. Try and get as much as we can and don't sort through it, that it becomes more of the burden than it should be. 
And if you were to describe us, even as Christians, I think we would have to admit this phrase, that we are maxed out people. Our time, our, 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 our relational uh, way, bandwidth of how we connect with people, financially, our job, our families, we are maxed out people. And for whatever reason, we determine that the best way to handle a maxed out life is to max it out even more, push harder, move faster, just bury our head and let's get through it. Unfortunately, as, as Christians, sometimes we promote this myth, a truth that's been given to us about how uh, God won't give us any more temptation that we can handle, that God will actually give us a way to escape, has morphed into this conversation about this myth, that God won't give us any more than we can handle. Temptation and life are two different things. God always gives us enough that we can overcome temptation, but God will always allow things in our lives that are more than we can carry. Why? Because God's heart is that you would depend on God. More than yourself, more than the people next to you, more than your job or your wallet, God's desire is that you would depend on God. So don't buy the lie. Don't just keep taking on more. Because what happens when we live that way is we respond in one of these three ways. We stuff it, we spend it, or we stress it. We stuff it, we spend it, or we stress it. And some of us do all three because we're very gifted at taking on more, right? What do I mean by that? When we stuff it, we pack our schedules, we take on more, we stay busy because busy means we must be valuable. Or we spend it. We, we buy moments and, and we miss what is eternal. We, we try to acquire things to kind of appease the tension in our life. Or we spend our time with people and just give it, give it, give it, give it, and we invest in nothing of what God wants for us. Or we stress it, we worry, we fret, we take the pressure that we have on our lives and we let it make our internal lives shredded with the shrapnel of emotional baggage. Welcome to Mother's Day version of Handle With Care, week three. I want to encourage you, if you've not been a part of this series, I would encourage you to go back to week one. Eric does a masterful message that really set us up to be able to walk through this conversation. And we've been trying to not only sort our laundry, but carry what's most appropriate for us so that God would be glorified and we would be healthy mentally and emotionally. Now, a few disclaimers we've tried to make along the way. You need to understand I am not and none of my team is a licensed professional counselor. But as pastors, we do believe that Scripture speaks to these kind of concerns and these kind of issues, and we know at the heart of it that ultimately the Lordship of Christ is the best anchor for us to hold on to in the difficulties of life. And we recognize that everyone has baggage and that this should be a safe place where we recognize that we all have baggage, but we do not label each other by our baggage. Our identity is not built on our baggage. 
We need to normalize the conversation of a need for mental and emotional health. But as people of God, we cannot romanticize it. I mean, we do not wear it as a badge, but we recognize it for what it is and place our identity firmly into our relationship with Christ and who he has created the community of faith to be. That's what our life is about. And so Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, is where we have been camping to help unpack this idea of who we are. Paul, uh, the writer of Romans, has written a letter to the church, and he was a man who thought he was living for God, but his pursuit of God was actually a rebellious, zealous moment of life. He was literally destroying the early church, and God confronts him in a miraculous vision with Jesus, and he realizes that not only where he was headed was wrong, but he is now invited into the journey of faith with Jesus and now sent back out into that same community, into that same world as a living testimony of what it means to live a life after God. We talked about how he destroyed households, that he arrested innocent people, and literally people died at his hands. And so we say sometimes we can throw it off because, oh, well, that's Jesus, and we don't worry about that. But when you see someone who's as jacked up as Paul get invited to the journey with Jesus and have a chance to stand as a poster child of what true life looks like, it gives us comfort to know that even we have a place At the table of God. Here's what it says in Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1. It says this Therefore, since we have been justified, that's that legal term that we've been made right with God, our payment has been made. We have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Not cowering, not hiding, not embarrassed, but stand before God. And we boast, we celebrate in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That's an incredible passage. It's been such a privilege for the last three weeks to unpack it from some different angles, to see it in its holistic perspective. But we need to be reminded about where we've been that uh, while we have this baggage, it is the work of Jesus. We have been justified, meaning we have been made right A legal amendment has been made that the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ now affords us the privilege to stand before God without condemnation, without shame, knowing the struggles and failures of our past. They have no voice in the room that we share with God because Jesus' voice is the only voice that is heard about us. And so because of that justification, now we begin to realize that the journey of our life, that even the hard things of our life have a purpose. There is a process by which we are now being transformed and shaped into the likeness of Jesus. 
Because this perseverance is building in us a character, not of our own, but from God. And that character now gives us a hope, not in the temporary circumstances or relationships around us, but in the trust that we have because of who God is and what God has done on our behalf. We find ourselves in a world where sometimes that gets forgotten. Truth of the matter is, sometimes we don't recognize the burden that we once carried or are carrying. We get into this mode of where all of a sudden life gets so busy, so stressful, we're spending so much of our energy that frankly, we forget the very condition of our lives. Sometimes there are stories that come across the internet that are true, that are trending. It was on TikTok, so I know it's true, right? You know, And what happened this last week has blown my mind. A woman who was 29 weeks pregnant was flying from Salt Lake City to Honolulu, Hawaii. Some of you are shaking your head. You know what happened. The article says this, I had no clue I was pregnant. This guy just showed up on me. 30,000 feet in the air on a flight to Hawaii, something changed inside of her. Can we say that? The beautiful picture is that a doctor and three NICU nurses were on the plane, a flight from Delta, and they delivered the baby safely. What has that got to do with this? Some of us don't recognize the condition we're in or what's happening in our lives. We are so busy and so stressed. And while you may not have a baby at 30,000 feet after 29 weeks of carrying a child, you have other parts of your life that have begun to show up and you didn't expect it to show up the way it did. Certain areas are out of control. Certain areas of your life are, are being exposed. You're wrestling with how to manage your life once again because your hopes, dreams, and desires may be deteriorating from what you thought you should be able to create and do. And I wonder if God wants to deliver in you a new life, a new walk, a new direction. When we look into this passage, we realize that our personal weight before God was so much more than we could carry, but God made a way through his son. And we recognize that it's all the work of God that allows us to be the people that we are. But God gave everything of himself, invites us into a journey when we know that we have maxed out our journey. The writer goes on after in Romans 5, he continues on and he talks about how Jesus gave his life and said, you know, the heart of God is this, Christ laid down his life. Most of us wouldn't give our lives for a good person. Very, very, very seldom would any of us even really give uh, for someone like us. Meaning we were enemies against God. And yet, at just the right time, Christ died for us. We're reminded that this brokenness of our lives, we had a, a check that we could not cash on our own. It was a gift from God And so our lives need to begin to be reinvested, reevaluated, look back into how God's working in our moments. When I was in college, uh, I understood what it was like to write a cash that you couldn't check. There was a a grocery store just down the way from the school that I grew up in, and most of us would walk down there, and and back in the day before debit cards, cards were really something to be used, we would take our checkbook with us and we would write it. Some of you were like, oh, was his life even in color back then? Was it black? I know, I know, I'm old, I'm old. 
We'd walk to this gas station and, you know, oftentimes we'd buy something priority like a, a, a pop, a Coke, and a candy bar. And young college students were notorious for writing checks and not balancing their bank account and bouncing a check for a $1.50 purchase. You know what I'm saying? Some of us have become grown adults that can't balance our checkbooks still, right? And we're trying to cash checks that we can't cash. The beautiful gift of Jesus is that he's given us everything and what we could not make on our own, what we could not do on our own, God has covered and cared for with us. Recently, another article was out this week from CNN about a four-year-old boy named Noah. Have you read this one? Noah has two passionate loves in his life, SpongeBob SquarePants and Popsicles. And so he decided to get into his mother's account on Amazon. He ordered 51 boxes worth of SpongeBob SquarePants Popsicles. And so suddenly, at his mother's house, the Amazon truck pulls up with 51 frozen boxes that need to immediately go into a freezer because he has bought 51 boxes of SpongeBob SquarePants Popsicles. Mom said, I should have known something. He just kept saying 51 all day. 51. 51. In case you're wondering what that costs, $2,619 worth of SpongeBob SquarePants popsicles. That four year old boy made an order for something that he cannot pay for. The grace of that mother covered that son that day. And I think sometimes we look at this as, as parents and we just go, you know, I get that. I get that. My kid's going to make mistakes. My kid's going to fail. My kid's going to do things wrong. But then when we look at our relationship with God, we say, but not us. When my heavenly father looks at me, he's just upset. He's angry. He's, he's wanting to punish me. He's wanting to hurt me and destroy me. But this passage says, for those of us in Christ, that we now stand with confidence with God again. We're not put to shame. But this, this trial, this suffering, is developing in us a perseverance that creates a character like Christ that leads to a hope of eternity. It causes us to look in at what God is doing in our lives and look out at what God is doing in the world around us. We're maxed out people. And many of us even today are the kind of people that are maxed out emotionally, psychologically to the debt and the weight of our lives. We've been there, done that. We've bought the t-shirt. Keeping up with the Joneses has not brought us the life that we wanted. We maxed out our life so quickly that it has become just a messed up life. And so maybe we want to pause today. We recognize that what we do is we stuff it, we spend it, we stress it. We stuff it and pack our schedules more and more and more. We spend it by just giving away our life to things that don't matter in the moment to miss out on what is eternal. And we stress it, we take on and take on till we are consumed. And what happens? 
When we stuff it, we have no space for God to move in our lives. When we spend it, we have nothing to give of ourselves to God or the people around us. And when we stress it, we are out of control with no control. And what we want to do is throw our hands up and quit. So what should our perspective be as we begin to reevaluate? I'm going to share some passages with you, and these are not quick spiritual bumper stickers just put on the back of your car and fix it, but they are things that we need to wrestle with when we look at our lives and how we're pursuing God in the midst of moments like these. The first passage I want us to look at is actually 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5 says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxieties on him. And that's not like cast like fishing. That's like just chuck it, throw it, get it to him. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, uh, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to destroy. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith. Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is going through the same kind of sufferings. I love this passage. Because what the writer is trying to say is, you're not the only one who struggles. Everyone Even believers in Jesus struggle with the life that they've been given. But he's also writing this to a group of Christians that are enduring sufferings, literally persecution for living out their faith. And so it's kind of a gut check. Is the struggle you're going through a struggle for your walk with Jesus? That's the first gut check. It's not that your struggle doesn't count, but let's understand some of us, most of us, live in a context of great freedom and privilege and opportunity. We cannot forget that. And so whatever avails us in this moment, whatever entangles us in this moment, has already an unspoken freedom to those who fight for their faith to be able to freely worship God. But he says humility is probably the best response for all of us. Why? Because your enemy is on the prowl looking for an opportunity to destroy you. Like a lion in the weeds, what does pride do? It pops our head up. It makes us a target. And the writer says, we need to humble ourselves before God's mighty hand that we would recognize that God is at work and there's an enemy that desires to destroy us. So may our moments be pressed into him. Then then I want to read out of Philippians chapter four. It says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Not let your strength and power, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So the writer's saying, hey, when you start getting anxious, first thing we do is we hand to God, here's what's got me stressed. 
And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's almost as if saying, you're not going to be able to guard your heart or guard your mind enough. So hand it to God and allow the spirit to work and wrap in you a protective lining so that what you're about to endure is not only on your strength, but on his. Then he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. Think about these things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard in me or seen in me, put that into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. The writer that's writing to Peter and the writer that's writing to Philippians has given us a concept that begins to say before God and before others, the way we look at and the way we approach the world speaks volumes based on how we see the world, whether it's through God or through our own selves. If we can see things from an eternal nature, it will impact our day-to-day journey. But if we only see life by the here and now and what's in front of us, we miss the perspective that even in our hardship, God may be working in us. And before we, before we unpack a little bit of application, let me just say this. I have been upfront over the years to share that I struggle with depression. I am an emotional person. I'm a person that experiences many highs and many lows. I'm the kind of person that as circumstances around me intensify, I intensify. When things are out of my control or go a direction I don't want, they're difficult oftentimes for me to handle. I do pray. I do read scripture. And I see a therapist. And I want you to know that there are relationships that are probably around you of friends or family that you need to lean into. But there are specialists who speak to circumstances, professions, and moments in life that when their outside perspective has a chance to speak into your perspective, it's like when a doctor is able to help you with your health. And if anything needs to be clear, It's that as your pastoral staff, we would say there is no shame in seeing a therapist. And not only that, we would recommend for you a Christian therapist who is rooted in Scripture. And even furthermore, we have relationship with people who walk very closely with first, meaning we know what they smell like as sheep. We know their character. And when we give you their name... We want you to know that you can trust them. They may or may not be a great fit out of the gate, but they are trustworthy people. And as a church, we need to be okay with people not being okay. We need to be the kind of people that help people get healthy emotionally, mentally, and physically.
So let me talk about these passages a little bit. And let me give you a little bit of an application that I think we probably need to wrestle with. And this series is not intended to unpack everything for everybody. But it's to give us all a nudge before God, with each other, and personally about what we may need to change. When I look at our need for emotional health and for our need to walk with God and with others in a healthy way, I realize that first and foremost, subtraction is often the best solution. Subtraction is often the best solution. I'm just going to tell you straight up today, there are probably some things you need to get rid of. There are probably some things that you need to cut out. There are some things that you probably need to stop doing. Why? Because in our maxed out life, we are responding in ways that just is not producing the life that we long for. Truth be known, as we look at this, as we've been stuffing our lives with other stuff, we've been spending it on what doesn't matter and stressing ourselves out, we have to begin to live this life of subtraction, of getting rid of the things around us that, we, that hinder us from following after God. So how do we do that? What does subtraction maybe look like for you today? I think subtraction looks like this. We need to make space for what matters most. Uh, back in the day, uh, they used to do, you know, the highly effective habits or ha seven habits of highly effective people. You used to have to sharpen the skill, watch your roles, put those in, get those. That was a great thing to understand. But what happened, it seemed like, is we just kept adding roles to our schedule and we just kept filling in more and more time. But we need to be the kind of people that are okay to say no. You need to be okay to say no. We need to be the kind of people that say, even God rested on the seventh day. Do we take a regular disciplined time to just stop, to have a Sabbath, to rest? Do we need to be the kind of people that we, we've not made space to grieve all that we've lost? One of the deepest wounds of my own journey in the last year and a half is because of my 19-year-old son, Caden. He didn't do it. But I watched his senior year crumble in front of him. He was to be the lead in his musical. He was to sing at his graduation. He was supposed to walk across the stage and it was just gone. And John Eldridge writes a quote when he talks about the last 12 months for young adults. And he says it this way. In the last 12 months, we have lived through chronic disappointment. That's what he calls it. Chronic disappointment. You lost that trip. You didn't go to that wedding. You didn't get to have the wedding. Uh, you didn't get to graduate. You finished online. You lost your job. You, you couldn't go to the club. Uh, you, you can't go out to dinner. All of this, just a large and small. Then, oh my goodness, we started losing people. We lost loved ones. We have friends who lost loved ones. So there's been a series of chronic disappointments. And he asked this question. Have you grieved what you've lost? Have we taken time to grieve? Have we given space to grieve? We need to make space for what matters most. Second of all, we need to surrender our lives so that we can trust and obey. 
Some of us are in a fight right now with God. It's no, no easy way to put it, and we need to put down our fists. We need to allow God to work in this moment with us, and that means we trust God and we obey God. Do you have space for what matters? Can you take time to pause in front of God? As mothers, we get this from the very beginning of becoming a mom. We are accommodating someone else. Every moment, every circumstance, every experience, we accommodate others. Can we in this moment, can we pause and not allow the enemy to deter us or distract us, but can we begin to embrace some disciplines that point us back to God? Prayer, scripture reading, being engaged with the body of Christ regularly, whether in person or online, getting in a group so that we can carry one another's burdens, help each other carry appropriate loads. And last of all, what we need to subtract, we need to begin to follow God when everything else fails. We don't need to turn to our wallet. We don't need to turn to our job. We need to cut those kind of things out so that we can follow God when everything else fails. When we focus on God, we begin to depend on God. When we trust God, we begin to experience growth with God. And when we begin to grow with God, peace begins to take over our lives. What do you need to subtract today? What does it need to pause and look deeply into the heart of your hearts and say this needs to be cut out? Whether it's a habit, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a circumstance, what is it we need to subtract from our lives? Let's move to our time of response. In a few moments, we're going to unload this plane and everybody's going to grab their baggage and they're going to walk out of here today. We start a new series next week. And so today's maybe the best day for you to look at your baggage and just say, what do I need to offload right now? In the next few moments, maybe you're going to pause in prayer before God and you're going to have some next steps that you need to take. And I want to encourage you to go to the app to begin to sit down and say, God, what, what do I need to get rid of? What do I need to pause from? What do I need to pull back from? We don't need to take on more. We don't need to spend more. We don't need to stress more. God's given all that we need to all that we have. We probably need to subtract some things so that ultimately our dependency is seen in him. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to grab the emblems, the bread and the juice. Every week we pause for a time of communion and it's a reflection of what Jesus gave for us. And Jesus subtracted himself so that we might have life. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he said, this is my body broken for you, take and eat. And in the same way, he took the wine and he said, this is my blood poured out for you, take and drink. Every decision we make, every relationship we have should reflect our dependency on God first and his empowerment for us to impact those around us. 
what do we need to subtract today so that we can lean into him? Last of all, we have a chance to give of ourselves, our time, our talent, and our treasure. Feel free to use the app or the give and respond boxes, but let's continue in our responsive worship as we stand and sing some songs.